Perhaps we'll stand and sing the words of number 391. 391, he giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labours increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Standing to sing, if you're able, 391. Second being Second John, uh, major lessons from minor epistles, or if you're Northern Irish, again, you like alliteration, so major lessons from minor letters. Second John, we'll read the, the little uh, epistle uh, of John to the elect lady and her children. So Second John, please, um, just 13 verses. And we'll read it together. <clears throat> the
the elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth. And not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I find of thy children walking in the truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. And I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, or this is that love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment, that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. For many deceivers are entered into the world, who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. It's actually stronger than that. This is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth, again, it's a little bit stronger than that, it's whosoever uh, goes beyond, advances, And abides not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God's speed. For he that biddeth him God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink. I trust to come unto you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. The children of thine elect sister greet thee. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to us. <clears throat> When we come to this little letter, the second uh, letter of John, it, it is very interesting to see that it's, in, it's written, its author is, calls himself the Elder. If you were to go back to the Gospel, I suppose when John is writing there, he writes as a disciple. In fact, he calls himself on a number of occasions, as you'll remember, the disciple whom Jesus loved. His words are words of witness. You'll remember at the cross he stands and he says, I'm bearing record. This disciple is bearing record and his record is true. So, so really they are words of witness. When we come to 1 John, the emphasis is on his apostleships. And so we'll read in 1 John of the weight of his words he'll say we are of God little children they are of the world as false teachers 
They that are, that are of God hear us. And so really throughout he uses this uh, very definite apostolic way as we come to the first letter. He's the last of the apostles. The rest have passed from this scene of time. He's writing later on, probably around AD 90, and there is a rising uh, false doctrine, anti-Christian, anti-Christ doctrine, a rising darkness, and, and John waits late before he writes his uh, epistles. And as he does, he writes with uh, authority. But when he's writing to these Christians that we read off in the second and third letter, the emphasis is not on his words of witness so much, or his words of weight and authority as an apostle, but his words of wisdom. And so that's, I think, why he addresses him as the elder. We live in a, a day, and, and really, there is little place given to older people in our society. It's kind of, everything is new and fresh. If you've made it past 30, well, you're on the downward slope from then on. That is the way our society looks upon things in many ways. But of course, it's not a biblical way of thinking. And you come to the scriptures and, uh, and you think of the Proverbs and the emphasis on wisdom and attaining wisdom and searching for wisdom so that you might live for the glory of God in this world. So that you might live in such a way that brings God honor, a skillful way of living. That's the thought behind this thought of wisdom. Taking knowledge and understanding and, and applying it to various situations in your life so that you might live for the glory of God. That's why it's important, younger brother and sister, to find older brothers and sisters who are farther along the Christian pathway than you are. And question them. And if you have a problem, go to them and ask them how they dealt with similar problems. Why? Because what you're seeking is to learn the wisdom that is inherent in the Bible and is inherent in uh, the gospel. So here we have uh, two little letters and they're all about how to apply the truth of the gospel and especially the truth of the first epistle, but we've no time to go there, uh, to various situations. They're really both around 300 Greek words long, the second and third letter. And they're the shortest two epistles, as we know, in the New Testament. Perhaps just one side of a papyrus sheet, as John was writing. And yet he so wanted to convey the truth that is contained in these two little letters, that he stopped to write. He was going to visit, we'll see in both occasions... He is going to follow this up, or he intends to follow this up with a visit, when he will expound and, and help the person understand more things, more wonderful truths. But just now he feels that he must write down in 13 or 14 verses, as we have them in the English language, these uh, wonderful uh, words. So what we're going to do is, is take this first of the letters... 
and try to understand what its main thrust, its main uh, meaning is. Really, we'll find out as we move down uh, that John has this idea and has this uh, focus on love and truth. You'll see in verse number one, whom I love in the truth. Verse number two, for the truth's sake. Verse number three, in truth and love. We can go down the letter and again and again he'll mention truth and love. And what John is going to show to this uh, lady that we're going to think about in a minute is that the love that she shows is based upon truth. This is going to be very important because as we see and as we will see, this lady, she loves Christians. She wants to be hospitable to Christians. Her heart is in the right place, we might say. However, there's just a danger that this love will become misguided because it's not associated with truth. And so for the first six verses, as we will see, there's a real emphasis on how love and truth are united together. And then he'll touch the actual problem from verse number seven. I'll I'll give a little breakdown of the, the letter and then we'll move from there. Verse 1 to 3, the introduction, what he's going to do is he's, it's really the wedding of love and truth, or with truth uh, together. And then from verse 4 to 6, we have what we might term the walk of love and truth. You'll see in that section, walk in truth, verse number uh, 4, I found of thy children walking in truth. A little bit further down you say, uh, Verse number 6, and this is love that we walk after his commandments. And this is his commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, that you should also walk in it. And it's love's the thought. So we have walking in truth. We have walking after the commandments. We have walking in love. That little section all has to do with the walk of love in truth. Then we'll see from verse number 7 to 11 or, or to 10 around there. The warning that he gives of misguided love, compromising truth. And we'll get there hopefully in our thinking in a little while. The warning of misguided love, compromising truth. And finally, as he comes to the end of the letter, his little conclusion, verse 12 and 13, we're going to find out that we we see his willingness, the willingness of love to share truth I don't think it was that easy there's a good possibility it wasn't that easy for John to sit down and write this letter to a lovely Christian lady warning her not to have fellowship and not to show hospitality to some people that were coming to her doorstep saying we are Christians we're on a mission and we want you to look after us She is not the sort of lady that would be wanting to turn anyone away. She, we will see Christian graces mark her. 
And so, at the very end of the letter, uh, we're going to see that, that John, because of his love for her and his love for the truth, he is willing to share the truth with her. In case we don't get there. I wonder, I'm speaking to those who are younger, if maybe an older brother or sister comes along and taps you in the shoulder and says, well, there's this wee thing you need to get sorted out in your life. I wonder how you would respond. Now, if you know it comes from a heart of love, it's easier to take. And John is going to show that this really does come from a heart of love. But we have to be ready not only to give advice to others in particular circumstances if we're, we have knowledge and truth but we have to be ready to receive it's a very difficult thing so we'll get there hopefully as we come to the end but let's come back to the introduction and we'll look at the verses uh, briefly and move down through this letter You'll notice the elder unto the elect lady, whom I love, in the truth he'd say. Now who is this elect lady? There are some people that feel very strongly that, that this is a local church. And as you come to the end, the children of that elect sister, they think it's another local church. And, and John is using that as a, a kind of descriptor of a local church. Now I, I don't really take that, that view myself. Uh, it is interesting to do so, but I, I'm not really for it for various reasons that we'll not um, look at at the moment. I think he's speaking to a sister in the Lord, an elect lady. It is, some have suggested, a proper name. It's Caria. It can be rendered that. Some people feel that it's the elder unto the elect Caria. However, it reads the way it is, and, and we'll just leave it the way it is at the moment. The elder unto the elect lady and her children whom I love in the truth. And so here we have a, someone who's of importance. She seemed to have lost her husband. Her children, it seems at least some of them are still with her. Although they're mature children, we'll find out. And... The house is used for the hospitality and for the help of the Lord's people. And in early, in the first century, there would have been a number of, of Christian missionaries that would have passed through, say. And they would have stayed, not in the local hotels or, 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 or whatever, because there wasn't any. And any kind of travelling lodges that there were, most of them were of ill repute. And not the place to be staying in as a Christian. And so Christians usually helped out uh, these Christian missionaries. And they had them stay with them for a day or two. And then they sent them on their way with, with uh, Christian greetings ringing in their ears. And so this is the situation uh, that we find. John probably based in Ephesus now. At this time. And, and it would seem likely that this was one of the, the local churches, one of the areas not that far away. And, and it would seem, as we'll see maybe from the next letter as well, that, that Christians 
Christian missionaries moved out from Ephesus into these areas, spreading the message of the gospel and teaching the saints and, and so on. And then they came back to John with a report. Or they came back to the assembly where John was in. So he has to write this letter. The elder unto the elect lady. What is the thought here of elect? I, I think what it's bringing out is, is that this lady has shown in her life the work of God. So you come to uh, 1 Thessalonians uh, and chapter 1. And we see their brethren beloved of God. Paul writes, your election. How did Paul know that they uh, were elect of God in that sense? He knew because as he came to them, the message was with power. He knew because he saw the change in their lives. He saw them responding to the message of the gospel. He knew because they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. And so... This lady, she was showing the evidence of God at work in her life. Put on, brethren, beloved of God, Colossians 3. Put on, brethren, elect of God. Mercies, loving kindness and so on. You see, God was at work in the life of um, this lady and it was evident to John he says the elder unto the elect lady and her children whom I love in the truth actually the article isn't there it's whom I love in truth in all reality he's going to explain to her this link between truth the reality of Christ and love but before he does so he says whom I love in all reality it's unhypocritical let love be without dissimulation or, or hypocrisy there was something genuine about John as he's writing he says whom I love in all reality and he's going to say that, that this truth that he is associated with engenders a truthfulness of life. Can I stop there for a minute? If we don't live in a truthful way, if we aren't real with those around us, and then we say that we have a message that is the ultimate reality, the truth about Christ, those that aren't saved will not believe us. So, we have to be careful that there is not hypocrisy with the way we live. There must be reality. And not only I, he says, but also all they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. So as he, he shows how these are linked together, let's, let's see how it, it flows here. Firstly, we have the character of love. I love in the truth, or in truth. Then he says, there is a community of love that has been formed. It's not I only, but it's all they that have come to know, have come to experience the truth. 
So those that have come to experience the truth, the Lord Jesus who is the way, the truth and the life, the body of teaching about Christ, the gospel we might say, those that have accepted that, they have been brought into a community of love. And then he says more, he says the very cause of it, the cause of this love is truth. It says in verse number 2, for the truth's sake or because of the truth which dwells in us and shall be with us forever. So the character of love, true love, we might say, is truthfulness. The community of love, it's a community where people have come to know the truth. And the very cause of this love is truth. You see what he's doing? He's linking together and showing that the very basis for the love that we have as Christians is truth. This is going to be very important as he develops his argument. But we must define love. What is meant by love? Is he speaking about that warm, fuzzy feeling people have for one another? No, of course, this word for love, this agape word, it's not so much a love that is based on the emotions at all. It's a love that is based on the will. Now, this is important. So when the Lord Jesus said, for instance, to people that they have to love their enemies... He doesn't mean that they have to go and feel very fondly about it. He doesn't mean that they have to somehow whip up some emotion in their heart towards their enemies. That is not the thought. They choose to love their enemies. And what is this love? It's self-sacrificial. The putting, the looking for, and the looking out for the best interests of those other people in view. So it's divine. It's self-sacrificial. It's, it's a choice. It's putting actually others before self. In that sacrificial sense of the word. And it's not an emotion. Now you might feel emotional about brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm not saying that that's wrong. But the basic thought in this word of love. Is a choice of the will. Other things follow. Agape love is followed by filial love. You can find that in First Peter if you want to look. First Peter chapter one. So, so this thought of love that he's speaking about here, this this love that is a choice that we make, the one for the other, is based upon truth. That's really the emphasis that he is bringing out. Now verse number 3. As he completes this first we um, section. He says grace be unto you. Uh, mercy and peace from God the Father. And from the Lord Jesus Christ the Son of the Father. Notice in truth and love. What is he saying here? Well. He is not actually saying the same thing as Paul says. At this point. Paul says grace and peace be unto you. Peter says may grace and peace be unto you. 
But the emphasis is not a wish, a devout wish or a prayer. When John is using it here, it would be better translated, grace, mercy and peace will be unto you. It's a promise. This is tremendous. My brother, my sister, we've been listening to the fact that we're accepted in Christ. And that to all eternity, we will enjoy uh, the blessings of heaven and so on. Here John is writing at the beginning and he's writing to those who, who have come to know the truth. He says the truth is going to be with us, it's dwelling in us and it will be with us forever he says, because of that I know something. I know that you will always appreciate and know and experience the unmerited favour of God. The pity in action of God's mercy. And you will experience peace for all eternity. Grace, mercy and peace, he says, will be unto you. A promise. If we could only grasp it, that despite the circumstances of life, despite whatever we are facing at the moment, uh, the trials and tribulations, and we've all had them, haven't we, in some measure, that in a hundred years from now, in a thousand years from now, in a million years from now, we will still be experiencing the grace and mercy and peace. That comes to us from God the Father. And from our Lord Jesus Christ the Son of the Father. In truth and love. So the basis and the reason why he is linking together love and truth. Is, is, is all found in this express, expression that we have here. Jesus Christ the Son of the Father. You see. The Father loves the Son. The Lord Jesus has said that on two occasions, didn't he? In uh, John's Gospel. And so he's spoken here as the Son of the Father. God loves his Son. And the truth is about his Son. And the truth under attack in this case was about the person of Christ. The false teaching that was on the go was about his person. And so we have to link together our love for Christ to the truth about Christ. We cannot love in a kind of misguided way. There are some things that love does not and cannot rejoice with. Do you remember 1 Corinthians chapter 13? Love it rejoices not with iniquity. But it rejoices with the truth. So the first little section is this idea of this wedding of love with truth. We must move on and we'll see uh, where we can go from here on. Secondly, I want to think of the walk of, of love in truth from verse number uh, 4 to 6. <clears throat> As we come to verse number 4, he says, uh, I rejoice greatly. That I find of thy children walking in truth. As we have received a commandment from the Father. So here's John. And he has come across this lady's children. 
Some of them, it's of thy children. He had come across some of this lady's children and, and it, he greatly rejoiced because they were walking in truth. They had received the truth of God and they were walking in a real way. He could see that there was a reality about their life. Now this idea of walking is interesting too. This is the thought of the whole round of their life. It's the word peripateo. Um, perimeter. Around. Peri. And so it's not just on a Sunday. It's on a Monday through Saturday. It's the whole round of the believer's life. He says, I was in a situation where I could observe your children. And I could see that there was a reality about them wherever I found them. They were walking in their life. They were living in truth. As we have received a commandment from the Father. Now again, this is interesting because he's going to bring in this thought of, of our obligation because of the commandment of the Father. Firstly, the commandment of the Father in verse number 4 is this walking in truth. Walking, it says in 1 John chapter 2, walking as he walked. But then we see another commandment in verse number 5. I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. Now where does this commandment come from? This is John 13. This is the Lord Jesus speaking now. And this is not the commandment that comes from the Father to walk in truth. This is the commandment to love one another. The Lord Jesus said it, of course, in the upper room. He says, love one another. On another occasion, he says, as we'll see in the next verse, if you love me, keep my commandments. And there's that emphasis on loving one another. And he says that comes to us it's it's a new it's not a new commandment you'll know of course it was a new commandment in John 13 it was new and freshness the lord jesus was going out to the cross to show the extent of his love and we come to the first letter of john uh, we read that it's an old commandment and a new commandment it's old in fact but it's new and freshness. And here what he's emphasizing is that this is not something new that he has just concocted up. This idea of loving one another. It comes right from when Christ spoke the words 60 years previous or so. This is not a, a new commandment in that sense. But it's one that we have had from the beginning. From the life of Christ that we should love one another. But linked, of course, to this love again, and this is what I'm trying to get at here. This is love that we walk after his commandments. You see, this love that we have the one for the other is also a vertical love. If you love me, keep my commandments. And what are these commandments? It's this obedience to the truth. So again he's linking love and truth together even in the walk. And as he comes to the end of this section you may say well, well John what are you getting at? Why do you think that 
We have to learn so much about love and truth being linked together. Well, because of the next section. This sister, lovely lady, lovely Christian, had a heart for the people of God. She just couldn't turn any of them away. And and there is a suggestion behind it that perhaps some of these deceivers had already been through her house. And they would have come to her. They didn't say, Madam, I am a deceiver. I'm a false teacher. No, they came as wolves in sheep's clothing. So verse number 7. This brings us under a third section. The third section that, that really is the emphasis of the letter. This is the warning of misguided love, compromising truth. Having linked truth to love and love to truth the whole way down the letter. Having shown that this love that we have, the one for the other, is based upon the truth that we know about God in Christ. The love that was demonstrated at Calvary and so on. This sacrificial love. He then says, now listen, there are many deceivers. Who have entered into or gone out into the world. Who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Notice first their description. They are described as deceivers. They are anti-truth. That's important. He's been speaking about truth and love. But now he says, listen, there are those who are coming and they are not bringing the truth with them. They are deceivers. He says they're anti-Christ. They are not only against truth, they are against Christ, his person. Uh, We will see in a second or two. That's our description. And we have their determination here as well. They are gone out. They are entered into or gone out into the world. This is the thought of going out on a mission. He's not speaking here about you speaking to your neighbour and you find out that they believe something. No, he's speaking about false teachers that are going out, that have a very specific mission and they're going out into the world to deceive people and keep people blinded as to the truth. This is the deceiver, he says, and the Antichrist. So it's their description, their determination. What about their doctrine? They confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is interesting because if you were to go to 1 John chapter 4. In fact, we will just for a second turn back to 1 John chapter 4. We have a very similar passage. A little bit more expanded and a few other things that are said in that passage. But we'll just read a couple of verses out of it. 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 1. And we'll read verse 1 to 3. Beloved, believe not every spirit. What he's actually saying is that when you have a teacher, when you have someone who is saying, I'm I'm, I'm telling you the word of God, I'm giving to you something that you should understand from the Bible or whatever, that behind them is a spirit who is speaking. So he says, believe not every spirit, but test or try the spirits, whether they 
are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out. Same ex- almost exactly the same expression. Many false prophets are gone out into the world. Then he says in verse number two. Hereby we know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. So you see it's a very similar problem that we have here. You see what we had. We have at the end of the first century. Is the beginning of Gnosticism. Gnostic is it just means knowledge. And there were some people who went among the Lord's people. You you were to ask them, oh yes, we're Christians. But but we we we're initiated. We, we've got something more. We know. We know. And there's more to it than that because they believe that material things and the flesh and so on was inherently evil. Now this was going to cause them a lot of bothers because, because they couldn't believe that and believe that the Lord came in physical human form. That God took to himself a body of flesh, he took to himself true humanity and came. They couldn't believe that. So in other words they attacked the doctrine of the incarnation of Christ. There were some of them they said well the Lord uh, Jesus Christ or Christ came. uh, But he came as a kind of phantom. A spirit being. And what they were doing was they were denying that he came in the flesh. And he came into true humanity. And in true humanity. There were others and they believed, well, there was a man, Jesus, they would say. But the, 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 the Christ spirit, the divine spirit kind of just descended on him at his baptism and left him before the cross. Now you can think how blasphemous these things are. And, and what he's saying is that they will come and they will confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. They're going to arrive on your doorstep. Now they're not going to confess that he didn't come in the flesh. Notice the the deception in this. They're just not going to affirm it. Now when you meet someone who says, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, you have to dig a little bit more. Because they're very, very Adept at not telling you what they know you don't want to hear. And so here we have uh, these false teachers coming and they're not confessing that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. It's what we will ter- we'll find termed in verse number 9, the doctrine of Christ. The doctrine of Christ. Now, some people feel that the doctrine of Christ is the words that he spoke. And I don't have a problem with that. I think the emphasis is on... The teaching surrounding and about his person. So his true humanity, his absolute deity, his permanent Christhood. And secondary issues such as his substitutionary atonement that comes out of that. They they couldn't believe in that. They couldn't believe in his physical resurrection. In fact they couldn't believe that he was coming back in flesh. And there's a slight distinction between 1 John chapter 4. Where it says that Jesus Christ... Having come in the flesh, that's the emphasis, verse 2, and what we have in this passage that we're reading, Jesus Christ coming 
in the flesh. And some people think it speaks forward to his second coming. The, the Gnostics, those that are false teachers, they denied these things about the person of Christ. Now they would have said they were Christians. And I can just hear someone saying, but, but does the Bible not say that we're not meant to judge people? Usually somebody who's saying that to you is in the process of judging you. So what you say is, please apply that to yourself at this point in time. Are you judging me for saying that I judge people? You see, every one of us has to be discerning. If we come to Matthew chapter 7, and we don't no time to go there, the Lord Jesus deals with two problems. He deals with those who are judging in a hypercritical way, and those who are judging in a hypocritical way. Keep that in mind and look at those verses. He is not speaking about discernment. It is a godly and proper thing that we discern where someone is coming from and what they are bringing to us. So we have their description, their determination, their doctrine, their, their, their sphere of operation is brought out. They, they, they went out into the world. That's where they operate. That's where they're listened to. You can look at that again in 1 John chapter 4. Look to yourselves, he said in verse number 8. That we lose not those things which we have wrought, that we receive a full reward. In other words, we're building something for truth. The assembly, we know from, from uh, isn't it Second Timothy, it's a pillar and ground. First Timothy, the pillar and ground of the truth. We have a responsibility as Christians to adhere to the truth. And we've got to be watchful that by associating with something wrong, we don't undermine what we are building and lose the full reward. You remember, isn't it, Ezra chapter 4? In Ezra chapter 4, we read these words. I must hurry up. You remember that occasion when they came alongside the people who were building. They were building, starting to build a house for God. And Zerubbabel was there. And, and the, the adversaries came along and they said, we, we, we believe in your God. And of course the response on that occasion was, was very definite. We have nothing to do with you. And, and when it comes to the person of Christ and the doctrine surrounding the person of Christ, we've got to be very clear. If something says it's Christian and it denies those fundamental truths that I say about the person of Christ, we have to look to ourselves that we lose not those things that we have wrought. Whoever transgresses, the person who advances, that's the thought behind it. We, we are advanced now. We've moved past those things. And abides not in the doctrine of Christ, hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. Therefore, he says, if there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed, for he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. What is he saying here? Is he saying that 
you can't be friends or socialise with others of different beliefs. Or you can't bring them in for a meal. Is that what John is saying? It clearly can't be that. You remember the Lord Jesus. The friend of publicans and sinners. You remember Levi. Once he uh, followed the Lord. He gathered those tax gatherers into his home. To introduce them to the Lord. It's not that you can't be friends with others of different beliefs. That's not the point that's being made. It's not that you must refuse to talk to people who fool false teaching. Now, there might be a time when you don't want to talk to them if you don't feel assured of your understanding of the doctrine of Christ. Or you don't feel you're in the position to talk to them. There is no obligation to talk to them. But the defense and propagation of the gospel is something that falls to us as Christians. In other words, we are expected... To be able to defend what we believe from the word of God. We are expected to be able to reach people who don't believe what we believe. I heard recently of a brother and he said um, that he went into a house and the, the, the man says, I don't, believe, I don't believe that Bible. I don't believe that there is a God. And the, the brother in question said, well, I just said I have no message for you. Well, my brother and my sister, we have a message for the whole world. We've got to be very careful. If Paul had had that attitude when he reached Corinth, he wouldn't have spoken to anyone. So that is not the, the point. But what is the point? And with this we're really going to come to the heart of it and we'll, we'll leave it just in a couple of minutes. The point is that this is false teacher, personally. This isn't your average member of the public. This is those who are going out. They're going out in a particular mission to reach others with a false message. And we don't want to lend them any support. So what we have here, the the enduring principle that comes from this verse has to do with the men or the missions we might say that we support. Do they bring the true doctrine of Christ? But to be careful what Christian organizations are putting that inverted commas that we maybe support financially or something like that. We don't want to be supporting and sharing a false message. That's really what the, you see this Christian lady, lovely lady, would have had them in their house, looked after them. And they would have gone on their way a couple of days later refreshed and having spread some more of their uh, false message. So unwittingly she was sharing in that message. It says in verse number 11, he that bids him Godspeed or joy, that's a thought, rejoice the Christian greeting, a Christian greeting. You know, acting as though because they've called themselves Christians, we should act as though they're Christians. You're actually sharing in their pernicious deeds, evil deeds, malignant deeds. That's the thought behind this word. So, you say, well, I I don't know that I really come across false teaching very much. With this, I'm going to finish. We'll pick up maybe one or two things at the end uh, from our next letter.
You don't come across false teaching. What about the internet? What about what you share on social media? Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not dissing anyone. I mean, I, I'm on the internet, and at times I'm on social media. But just be careful what you're sharing, my brother and sister. I mean, I have seen lovely Christians sharing statements by Joel Osteen. Do you know what he believes? We need to dig a little bit further. The, the, the missions we support, the message we share, let's be careful. What about when you're passing a book on from a Christian bookstore to someone else? You say it's from a Christian bookstore. I could go into any Christian bookstore, I think. Well, maybe not any, but most of them. And pick off the shelf things that are erroneous. Not only lightly erroneous. I, I, I wrote a letter about 10 years ago to a very well-known Christian uh, bookstore. Not, not in Scotland, I will say. I wrote a letter to them because they had on their shelf a whole series of William Barclay's books. I did the virgin birth, literal miracles of Christ, physical resurrection of Christ. You see, people could be passing those things on unwittingly, without thinking, and that would be sharing a message that is wrong. So we have to be careful. Um, the big thing at the minute, I suppose, is the shack. You know, in nearly every Christian bookshop you go into. You'll see that book, The Shack. Blasphemous book. We need to be careful. I'm just saying, you do come across false teaching. Sometimes it's not as evident as you think. That's the point. What about in the workplace, university? We could continue. In conclusion, we have to have this willingness. The willingness of love to share truth. Here we have John, and he's writing. He's writing to this lady, and I'm sure it wasn't that easy for him to pick up his pen if he had to rebuke her in this. He loved this lady. Yes, he loved the truth, and that was the reason why he wrote it. If a brother or sister taps you on the shoulder and says, as they've done to me, I assure you, a brother or sister comes along and taps you on the shoulder and says, Andrew, there's things you're doing wrong. You need to get them fixed. Just you remember to accept it in love. And realize that in most cases they're doing it out of love. And just be willing to take love in truth. May the Lord bless what has been of himself. Yeah, we thank our brother for that message. Uh, we'll, after we sing and Michael uh, closes this session in prayer and gives thanks for the food there'll be a short break until 6 o'clock uh, where food will be served for the sake of time and at this risk of not having a burnt pie we'll just sing one verse of 134 one verse of 134 we'll sing the fact, second verse I love thee because thou hast first loved me and purchased my pardon on Calvary's tree we'll stand and sing after the introduction this one verse
Father, we bow in thy presence in the precious name of the Lord Jesus, and we thank thee for the privilege of spending time around thy word, and pray, our God, that it might make an impact upon us, and that we might hear thy voice speaking uh, through thy word to all our hearts uh, in the gathering today. We thank thee for the uh, the wonder of salvation. We think of the uh, danger, our God, of false doctrine, the importance of living for thy glory. And we pray, our God, that we might be given help just to do so and to serve thee in our own uh, generation. We thank thee for our time together. We thank thee for the provision of food. We acknowledge that many in our world are hungry, and yet we have so much. And so we just acknowledge these things as coming from thyself and return our thanks to thee for them. We pray for thy blessing upon our conversation and our fellowship together. We remember the meeting in the evening in thy will and pray, our God, for thy help and thy blessing on that occasion as well. We ask these things and return thanks in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.